0: the Lord. Uh, This is probably the most significant stuff uh, in your Christian walk that we can talk about, is inheritance, but in the context of identity. Knowing who we are, hello? Knowing who we are, and then understanding what is ours because of who we are, and then understanding what we can do with what we have because of who we are is at the very, very, very basement level, right? Foundation of who we are as a Christian and what God has called us to. If if we don't get this stuff fixed in our spirit and we go the rest of our Christian life walking out this this, um, journey of of, uh, thinking I have to appease the heart of God, I have to earn uh, his favor i have to earn his affection um that that whatever i do if i if i somehow make a mistake i miss out on the will of god and all of these other issues that get built around that uh, lack of identity then it is it is a constant journey of feeling frustrated and ashamed uh, as a believer and god doesn't want us to be frustrated and he doesn't want us to feel shame either Oh, he does want us to be convicted. Conviction's good, right? But walking and living in shame is the enemy winning twice. He gets to win when we fell the first time, committed whatever that sin was, that that grievous act, but then he wins a second time by holding us in shame for it for the next umpteen years. God doesn't work in that economy. God works in this thing called conviction where he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. And and the Bible says that that there is a, a, a sorrow, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And repentance means to go around in the other direction. Right? But earthly sorrow leads to shame and death. Do you see the difference? And God wants to lead us in a path to life. God's convicting power is always about, always about directing us back to life. Always. That's how he works. He works in the realm of life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? So, uh, as we've been talking about this, this is, this is so foundational to life. And so, I may have said some things a couple weeks ago that uh, I had people say to me, really? You know, uh, that I'm going to explain today. But I gave you a couple weeks to just sit and stew on it. Uh, you know, what I'm referring to is when I said, people come to me all the time and they want to know what's God's will for my life or what does God want me to do? And, and I said, I don't think God cares. And I could hear the oxygen getting sucked out of the room. And, uh, and I had people come to me, what do you mean he doesn't care? So I'm gonna, I am going to get to that this morning. I'm going to explain to you what I mean. And hopefully you'll understand by the end of it what it is to have a dynamic relationship with God as our Father. I'm praying that the penny drops in our spirit. Because we have to function from this place of being sons and daughters or the whole thing is going to end up in a life of of uh, baggage and weight and frustration uh, that we'll never ever ever achieve the things which God by his Holy Spirit has prepared in advance for his people to achieve alright so let's just let's just kind of get into this this morning we've uh, been talking last week we talked about alignment or two weeks ago before assignment so this is part two this morning and um, we've been talking about the three chairs chair one which is the kingdom of God uh, chair two which is that kingdom of self. When we come to Christ, we do it for personal gain, personal reasons. We want to avoid hell. We want to experience life. I mean, that, we get into that chair, but God has always a plan for us to move into chair one and to be part of the kingdom. Now, there are some people who come to Christ and they just leapfrog chair two and they go right to chair one. But I haven't met very many of them. We usually get stuck for a while in that chair two where it's all about me and our faith is all about me. God, what do you have for me next? Anybody ever been there? Uh, Lord, bless me, right? So, and then chair three, of course, is the kingdoms of this world. It's, we, we all start there. We're stuck in one way of thinking, and God wants to pull us into his uh, relationship with him and his uh, glorious kingdom. Praise the Lord. Now, t- last or two weeks ago, I talked about the lie that your work is the deciding factor in the outcome of your life. That's what the enemy tries to market to us, that it's your effort, it's your work, it's your labor that is the determining factor in your life. And that may be true in the natural. I mean, how many know that if you don't get at work, you're probably not going to eat this week, right? And the Bible even notice, notes that. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, it's a principle that we're going to have to actually do some stuff in order to be able to sustain ourselves. However, when it comes to uh, our relationship with God, it's simply not true. That our effort is not the deciding factor in our life. Grace is the most important deciding factor in your life and your future. And only God's grace. Your work does not make your relationship with God. Somebody say amen. Uh, And so moving out of chair two and into chair one is not hard work. And I said, in fact, it doesn't depend on your work at all. It's the work of God. It is the work of Holy Spirit in our life. And it is a yielding to His work that translates us from one place to another. And uh, and that is uh, what we must understand. And I talk about how there is never a what must I do in order to be. Never, 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 never is there a must what I do in order to be. What I do does not change who I am. Only Jesus changes who I am. Are you getting this this morning? Hello? What I do might change the way people look at me, but does it change the way God looks at me? No. What I do is not the deciding factor in my life, it is who I am and who I've been called to be. And, uh, and I can only ask that question, what must I do in relationship to my alignment? I, uh, I can't say it in relation I can only say it in relationship to my assignment. So when it comes to my alignment, the question is irrelevant. What must I do? Nothing. My alignment is determined by the work of Jesus Christ. It can only be asked in relation to my assignment. God, what must I do? And then there are some things that He has to say to us about that. But it's, everybody say, not to do with alignment. Not to do with alignment. My alignment, how I am in position with God, is set by the work of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and by grace. Amen? In other words, there's nothing that I can do to affect my alignment with God. And we say we believe that, but then the first time we sin, as a Christian, we somehow come to this conclusion that my alignment now has been thrown off. Right? God must surely hate me because of what I've done. And we try to help people understand that that's not the case. I mean, the first time your kid looks at you and sasses you back, somewhere in the neighborhood of around two to three years of age, right? You know, when they finally get there and, and they give you some sass. They just give you some sass and, and you're like, I brought you into this world, I can take you, out. You know what I mean? That kind of an attitude. But uh, they give you some sass. Does that change their alignment to you? Let's be honest, does it? No. They're still your son or your daughter. You still love them. You want to make sure you kind of get that behavior out of them because it's not going to go well for them in life. But the reality is, it doesn't change your alignment. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. You know, when we falter, when we sin, does does all of a sudden God go, whoa, well, I, I can't keep you around and boot us out? No, He loves us. And He constantly brings the reference of family back to His relationship with us so we can understand it. We can understand His affection in the context of a father for His children. In fact, the Bible says, if, if your earthly father, being evil or being carnal is the word, being fleshly, if he knows how to do good things for you, then how much more does your heavenly father, how much more will your heavenly father uh, give good things to them that ask? Come on. He's trying to help us understand that our relationship with him has to be viewed in the context of family. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't know what my dad was like. And I realize that makes it difficult. But we have to look at what kind of father God wanted us to have, what kind of father he intended us as men to be, and what kind of father he's giving us an opportunity to be now. And it's in that context that we view uh, fatherhood. It's in the context of what God's intention was. And I realize some people had some pretty brutal family experiences. And so when you hear about, well, I don't want to look at God as my father because that's the last person on earth I want to see God as. What you need is for god to heal the image of father in your heart and restore that to you so that you can finally embrace him as your father the way a father was meant to be amen so what is our only work in terms of alignment it's be leaving we have to be and we have to believe who we are it's be leaving I made that word up all by myself pretty clever right uh no one is justified by works we're justified by grace ephesians 2 8, 9 says for by grace have you been saved through faith That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can brag, no one can boast. It's the full-on gift of God to every one of us. And so being in proper alignment with God, becoming a son of God, a joint heir with Christ, becoming part of his divine family, this alignment is a gift. Everybody say gift. And it's given to us through grace, and it's accessed only by faith. There's no other effort, no other work, faith, faith which is believing. We simply believe that it's true. We simply believe that it's true. All right. Now, your assignment comes out of that alignment. The last couple weeks, uh, I could understand how, after hearing Altman said, you might think that there's no such thing as any kind of work in the kingdom. We just—it's all just one lovely journey of tiptoe through the tulips, right? And uh, there's no work at all. Now, that's not what I'm saying. There's lots of work to be done. Lots of work to be done. And uh, God has lots of work for us to do. He has mountains of work for us to do. It says that we can only do it as sons. We can only properly do it as sons. If we try to do it as somebody earning our way, then it's never going to work. How many of you ever have given something to somebody and they tried to pay you for it? Right? You ever had that experience? You're giving somebody something and they try to pay you for it. Isn't that annoying? Isn't it insulting? I'm trying to give this to you and the person's trying to pay you for it. And and, you know, so you just take that and you take the grand scale of Jesus giving his life on the cross for you, making the ultimate sacrifice to give you something, and then you trying to pay him for it. That would be like, look at it this way, okay? You know, you were, uh, you were um, walking down the street one day and your child let go of your hand and bolted it in front of traffic. And a perfect stranger comes along and jumps out and pushes your child out of the way and bam, gets hit by the bus instead. And then they're recovering in the hospital in traction. All four limbs broken and everything else. And you walk in and you pull out a hundred bucks. Say, I just want to say, can I just pay you for taking care of my son like that? I really appreciate it. Here it is. Seriously? The person just put their complete life on the line for you. Oh, here's a hundred bucks. Thanks for your trouble. Right? Right? What an insult. What an absolute insult to the sacrifice they just made. There's no money you can put on that. There's no price you can put on your child's life. All you can do is be filled with an incredible gratitude that they were willing to lay their life down for your child. That's it. All you could ever do is give them, give them honor to give them 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 your, your heart. That's it. How much more? Now, you take that same analogy and you look for what Christ has done for us. None of you can pay back God for what he's done. Your wallets aren't deep enough, and your work isn't good enough. Not going to happen. It's all yours because of love. And all you can do is receive it. Somebody say amen. Amen. So if once we receive it, then there's so many things that we can do that are a reflection or honor the sacrifice that he's made. And that's why after Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the very next verse is verse 10, and it says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, or purchased by Christ Jesus, to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. The, those good works don't buy our salvation, but the natural byproduct of having received such a great gift is that I want to give my life to the cause that purchased my life. Do You see what I'm saying? And so I want to honor the gift that Jesus has made by giving my life to that same cause, the cause of the kingdom of God. And that is how it's designed to work. God has work for us to do, and he has plans for us, he has assignments for us, for you to do, but every single one of them, every assignment that you have must come from your place, from your alignment as a family member. Everything you do, everybody say everything. Everything we do for the kingdom has got to come from our position as a son. If you ever are caught doing it because you think, now people will like me. Now Jesus will be happy with me. You need to just go, what did I just say? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That is like the ultimate, think about it, that's the ultimate sinful statement. Because you're saying to him for his great sacrifice, it's okay, God, thanks anyway, but I got this. I got this. It's, it's on me. I can do it. It's not on you. You can't do it. And your work's never going to be that which makes God love you or anyone else love you. And if they do love you because of what you did, it's called a shallow relationship. Everybody say shallow. I sure hope my wife loves me for who I am and not just for what I do because some weeks I don't do very well. Some weeks, I, you know, I, I've occasionally been known to leave my underwear on the floor. It's just happened. It's happened. Some weeks, my wife actually puts the toilet paper on backwards. It's true. Everybody knows it comes over the top, not under the bottom. Hello? Everybody? Over the top, not under the bottom. What is wrong with these people that do it the other way? And then you're sitting here rolling it like this, and nothing ever comes off the roll. And then if you hit it the other way, it all goes into the wastebasket below it, and you got 14 pounds of toilet paper in the wastebasket, and it never actually came off the roll because you didn't see it. It was going down behind. It's over the top, people, over the top. Over the top. Everybody say, over the top. Thank you very much. And all the retentive anal people here, no, it's over the top, not under the bottom. Thank you very much. My wife will occasionally squeeze the toothpaste tube in the middle. Why does anybody do that? from the bottom, work the toothpaste to the top. That's how it's done. You see, we will constantly do things that will, you know, uh, cause us to look and realize that our spouse is not perfect and their work is not perfect. But the reality is I don't love her because she knows how to put toilet paper on a dispenser or she knows how to squeeze toothpaste. I love her in spite of those deficiencies. And that is how the kingdom works. God loves us despite our deficiencies, and he does not love us because of our efficiencies. Someone say amen. Amen. And so we have to understand this in our life. God does have things he wants us to do, but we're not doing them to get him to love us or to be happy with us or to be pleased with us. And yet I think that most of us have went about our Christianity trying to do so that he'll smile. Not realizing He's already smiling, so I can do. Just being honest. His desire that we do our assignment is from being, our alignment. And this is seen throughout the Scripture. Throughout the Scripture, there's tons and tons of Scripture. I won't take time to read them all, but, um, you know, uh, the Bible says to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So the, the fruit isn't, isn't what gets you to that place of repentance or what produces your repentance. It's in keeping with repentance. Uh, the Bible says to live a life worthy of the uh, calling that you've received. So that we don't get the calling because we lived a certain way. We live a certain way because we have the calling. Do you understand the difference? I mean, it reinforces this over and over and over again in Scripture. And uh, we have to get this into our spirit. We work from the position of who we are. We do not work to get who we are, all right, or to get where we are. So there is much to be done, but we do not labor as a slave, and we do not serve as even servants, but instead we come into relationship with God and we work as family members, working the family kingdom business together. That is how we work. God has given us talents and abilities, and He's given us spiritual gifts and he's even supplied all these things so we can fulfill uh, different assignments, but we must understand and get this stuff in order, or we're always going to be confused. I can only, I can only do once I have embraced who God has redeemed me to be. Alright? This is so foundational. And if I sound a little repetitive, it's because I am being repetitive. This is so important. There is much work to be done, but it can only be done as a son. Everybody say only can only be done as a son, can only be done as a daughter. And we've said this before, I use the word son, I mean, generically, son or daughter, just like when the Bible calls us the bride of Christ, guys, we have to recognize we're also the bride. So ladies, you have to recognize you're also sons. So, uh, you know, the Bible, there is a lot of work to do, but we can only do it as a son. If we do it outside of the context of sonship, then guess what? We're going to be frustrated and God's going to be frustrated. He's going to be frustrated. All right, so now let me just move on to kind of following up on what I said a couple weeks ago. Does God care what I do? Uh, at the, I got to the end of my message a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned that the number one question I get asked by people, that people ask all the time, in fact, uh, uh, Purpose Driven Life was written to try and answer that question, is that people want to know what am I here for and what's God want me to do, right? What's my What's my my purpose. What, what am I, what's God want me to do? And I made the comment, I said, uh, I don't think God cares. And I could see people looking at me like, what? What? What do you mean God doesn't care? What do you mean God doesn't care? And then I, I quoted um, Psalm 37 uh, and verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. And, and to me, that has been a, a life verse for me. Notice the first part. Delight myself in God. What is that talking about? Alignment, right? Delight myself in God, and then he gives the desires of my heart. I'm going to explain this today. I'm going to help you grapple with this passage today and understand uh, what I was talking about. And I want to kind of help you understand what I mean when I say that God does not care. And uh, so, let me get to that. God doesn't care what you do. God is a statement that I made. God doesn't care what you do. Let me tell you that there's a few caveats to that statement, okay? First of all, first caveat. He cares very much if you're doing something illegal, immoral, indecent, unkind, etc. So God doesn't care is not a statement about morality, okay? Does everybody understand that? When I'm talking about, uh, someone says, well, what am I supposed to do? It's not... It's not. This is not a, the response. God doesn't care is not a moral statement. It's not that He doesn't care about the morality of your decisions and your actions. He absolutely does. He does care about those because they. They certainly, if you're doing something illegal or immoral or indecent, it does not reflect that you have uh, a right relationship with Him at all. Okay. So obviously He does care about that. All right. Second caveat, it does not mean that He hasn't gifted and equipped you with specific abilities. So when I say that God doesn't care, it doesn't mean that he didn't create you and gift you with certain abilities that you can achieve specific things, all right? All right, let me get on to the third caveat. It does not mean that he has no plans or hopes for you. God does have plans, and he does have, let's call them aspirations. Everybody say aspirations. God has plenty of aspirations for you, tons of them, all right, as any father would. And finally, it does not mean that he doesn't care about you. To say that he does not care what you do, assignment, does not mean that he does not care about you, alignment. God cares very deeply about you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son for you. He he couldn't possibly love you anymore. So with these caveats in mind, understand now the statement, what, uh, what does God want me to do? Well, he doesn't care. And here's how I'm going to explain it to you. And I think this is going to help you. You have to understand that statement in the context of remembering that we are part of a divine family. We are part of a divine family. The easiest way for the penny to drop here to answer the question, God does not care what I, or does God care what I do, comes from the context of your relationship to God as a family member, all right? So we have to remember that he is the father, we are sons and daughters, all right? So, bearing that in mind, let me explain it to you this way. As our Father, God has provided each and every one of us with an opportunity to engage with Him in advancing the kingdom of God on earth. Everybody's been given that opportunity. And as we've mentioned, He desires that we see ourselves seated with Him uh, in the living room. It's the best way to picture it. Or maybe in your case, it's around the kitchen table. I don't know how your home is set up but that place where life happens, right? God invites us to the place where life happens. Sitting in the living room, sitting around the kitchen table, sharing time with Him, listening to His heart for His kingdom and offering us opportunities to partner with Him in advancing the kingdom of God. That partnership will involve work and assignments and the exercise of our talents and our gifts and our abilities that He's given to us. That is what He invites every one of us to. To sit down and discuss this thing with Him as partners, as family members all right? Now, if you think of your own family, let's say you own a small family business, all right? And uh, you're a carpenter, a farmer, an accountant, or maybe even a pastor who started a church like Desert Stream, all right? You remember that word I gave you, aspirations? You may have aspirations that your children would continue in your family business, that uh, your business would be, you know, uh, i don't know beaumont and sons right or whatever you might have those aspirations i'll look at my own life i'll pick on myself uh you know i had uh, an aspiration a dream if you will that one day one of my children or all of them would would take over the church and they're all like
1: not gonna happen
0: dad uh you know that that might have been an aspiration that i had for them right and uh you know, um, and so I had that, that dream. Sherry's like, I would never had that dream for them, but um, I, I had that dream for them, all right? Now, none of my, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It doesn't look like one of my kids is going to rise up and take over Desert Stream when I retire, all right? Now, let me ask you a question. The fact that, that that's not going to happen, does that change my love for my children? Anybody? Does it change our relationship? Yeah, some of you are going, yes. No, it doesn't. It doesn't change our relationship. It doesn't change my feelings toward them, my relationship with them one bit. Because we realize that the relationship is built on something other than what they do. Now, would it affect our relationship if they gave up on the kingdom of God, if they wanted nothing to do? Of course it would, because it would, it would be such a crushing blow to our affections and our love. But that's not what we're talking about here. If they said no to the alignment, then that, yeah, that's going to affect our relationship. But, the, but to say no to the assignment, no, it doesn't. Are you getting it any clearer now? So when we look at our assignments from God, we have to look at them in that way. And if, because I've met so many Christians that they say, oh, you know what, when I was 21, I knew God called me into the ministry, but I didn't do it. I rebelled. And now I've missed it. I'm just outside of his will. What a bunch of hog swoggle. Seriously, sheer and absolute utter nonsense. You're outside of what? what? What exactly is that person missing? What exactly are they outside of? Are they outside of his love for them? No. Have they become completely useless to God? No. Is is it going to change what he would be be willing to do through their life? No. No to any of those things. Guess what? If they turned around and said, God, you know what? Remember that that call you put on my life when I was 21 and I said no to? I'd kind of like to do that now. He'd say, good, let's get going. And there wouldn't be any, well, if you'd have just done it when I said it the first time. That's not the way he operates. Everybody say same wage. One of the most troubling parables in Scripture is the parable of the same wage. You guys know the one? So the guy needs helpers, and so early in the morning, you know, 6 o'clock, he goes out, hires a bunch of guys, and says, I'm going to pay you this amount of money to work in the fields all day. Perfect, right? goes out a couple hours later said, so I need still need more workers who's willing to come more guys come and join him then all through the day three times four times fourth time he goes I think it's three o'clock in the afternoon he says will you come and work for me and they're like yeah and then they hear the rumors they're working on the work line you know he he offered to pay those guys at the beginning of the day uh, a big money so you know uh, what's going to happen with us we're, we're probably just going to get paid a little bit or whatever and the guys that look at him, hiring them the end of the day are probably thinking they're going to get a big payday now because if he's going to pay them that much. Well, anyway, when it comes time to pay them for the day, he starts with the guys he hired last. And he pays them, starts and he gives them the same wage that he was going to give the guys at the beginning of the day, right? And, and then he goes to the next group and he pays them the same thing with the next group and he gets down to the guys he hired at the beginning of the day and he gives them the same wage. And there's something in us that just goes, I hate that parable. It sucks. I would be so mad if I was one of those guys that was hired at the beginning of the day. And Jesus deals with that. In the parable, he, said, he, he says that the owner of, the, of, of the, the farm, he looks at them and he says, did you not agree to work with this, for this in the beginning? And they go, well, yeah. But that was before. <that'd> be that. Did you not agree to that? Yeah. Was it not a fair wage? Yeah. All right then. If me, in my generosity, want to give guys a hire at the end the same as you, what's it to you? Well, I'll tell you what it is to me. It's not fair! I got news for you. Absolutely right, not fair. It's not fair. Absolutely, completely true, not fair. Here's the next revelation for you. God's grace is not fair. Mm. And the parable was never meant to be an instruction on how to pay workers on your job site. You might actually get a few people react exactly the same way if that's how you treat workers on your job site. Not what the parable was about. It was trying to help you understand how God's grace works. So that even those who come in at the 11th hour get the same grace as those who walked into their whole life. That God's grace is a gift. And none of us works for the gift, whether we worked all day or whether we came in at the end. It's a parable about God's grace. It's about how His kingdom works. It works by grace. Do you understand today? And that everybody gets invited into the family. And it doesn't matter if you've been in the family for 30 years or whether you've been in the family 30 minutes, same grace, same wage, same love. Amen? That's what the parable's about. And when you understand the parable in that context of family, oh, it just changes everything. Another parable that always bothers you if you're looking at it from the perspective of a wage is the parable of the lost sheep. Where, you know, he talks about how The shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. On the scale of economics, that's stupid. Stand, protect the 99, let the one go. 1% loss, that's okay. We can deal with that. The wolves are going to get that one. But we won't expose the other 99 to risk to save the one. That's just kind of foolish. But if we take that parable out of the context of work and earn deserve, that whole way we tend to think with our Western mind, put it in the context of family. You've got 10 kids on this shore, and one of them falls in the water. Are you not going to leave the other nine just standing there and dive after that one? You better believe you are. You're going to dive in there and you're going to do everything you can to save the one. Because the parable was never about the economics of scale or anything like that. It was about God's grace and His incredible love. And He will always go after the one because He's compelled by love. All of this stuff we're talking about makes no sense if you try to view the kingdom of God like an earthly business, you need to view it like the kingdom that it is and recognize that it's a family kingdom. It's a family kingdom. And we function as family in the kingdom of God. And the assignments that are given to us or that God has, has uh, designed us or equipped us for, we need to walk in them recognizing that, that you know, uh, we do our best because we're part of the family we don't do our best to become part of the family we're already in we're already in and if we miss it on an assignment guess what there's always another chance always another chance in God's kingdom always another opportunity to be able to give it another go are you hearing me this morning Oh my goodness, this is so freeing. And whether you believe that at one point you were called to this or you were called to that and you missed it, guess what? You didn't miss it. All you have is now a revelation of how God's gifted you and called you and you can start today. You can start today. Isn't that good news? You can start today. Hallelujah. That is the way the kingdom of God works. That is the way God works it only works in the context of your family it only co- works in the context of he's the father and i am a son my aspirations for my children alas may never materialize as far as desert stream is concerned but it never affects my relationship with them not one bit it does not does not I don't even bring it up. I haven't said to Derek every week, he stands up on the stage, he's leading worship. I so Derek, are so you getting ready to take over someday? I don't keep taking little shots at him. It doesn't work that way. God's not like that. Some of you think he's like that. And you're, in fact, looking for the shots. You're looking for God to, to constantly be kicking you with a displeased little goad in his shoe and poking you in the, uh, in the butt. And that's how you view him. It doesn't work that way. His kingdom doesn't work that way. Everything I do for him, I do out of love for him. I do as a family member. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of anything else, simply out of relationship with him. And when I get a hold of what, how awesome that relationship is, then it changes how I labor and how I work. Our relationship with our children is not dependent on their work. It's not dependent are determined by what they do, it is 100% based upon who they are, our children. And that same thing is true for you. Your relationship with God, read this that way, your relationship with God is not dependent on your work. It is not dependent on what you do. It is 100% based on who you are. You are his children. Do you get that this morning? There's a lot God wants us to do. There's a lot that he, he, he desires for us to do. Tons of stuff in fact. But we can only do it as sons and daughters in the kingdom. We cannot accomplish the work in any other mindset or frame of thinking because if we do, it's going to produce pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and the sense in which look what we did, look what we built, instead of look what God did, look what God built. Are you hearing me this morning? We have to, we, we have to stop Accepting the invitation of the devil, an invitation to condemnation that Satan places on people all over the world if they miss the call or the will of God. They wonder if God still loves them, whether they're condemned because they missed it, whatever it was. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That condemnation comes only from Satan. Whether you complete the assignment or not, God's heart for you remains exactly the same. Exactly the same. And when you gather yourself together and you take a run at it a second time, he is just as much in your corner as he was the first time. Why? Because he's your dad, and that's what dads do. Right? Now, this is not your typical business. So there are some ways in which the analogy breaks down, but if you don't get this fundamental element of it, you're going to be frustrated your whole Christian walk. You're never going to be able to accomplish what God's called you and gifted you to be able to do. And I think that's why we need to take a step back and look at our life and our passions and our desires and come back to that question. Come back to that question. We must look at our assignment in the context of our alignment with God. And from there we begin to dream with God. We begin to dream. And I think so much of it has to do with our dream. See, God has a vision, but he's called us to dream. What's God's vision? God's vision is that the kingdom of God would cover the whole earth. That's his global vision. God has a vision. He has a vision that that his children would all be involved in fulfilling that vision. But here's here's the rub of it. How that gets done and the details of it, that's where he invites us to the table to sit down with him and to throw our dreams out on the table. To throw our ideas out on the table and for God to say, yeah, let's do that together. That's the kind of partnership he has with us. Now, I apologize if that, you know, in, in insults your fatalistic tendencies that, you know, nope, 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 God's got this path for me, and if I get off it, you know, I'm, I'm condemned. No. I don't think that's how it is at all. I think God's vision is, is huge, and it's, and it's all-encompassing, and it's global in scale. And that he invites us to sit around the table with him as part of the, his vision. And to cast our dreams upon that table. And to say, God, this is, oh, this is what I see. This is what I'd like to do. Some of you say, well, you know, how does that work? Well, God has gifted you and given you talents and abilities as a carpenter or an artist or whatever. And I think the early church got this. And that's why the churches were filled with beautiful works of art and frescoes and all kinds of things. Why? Because they even understood that art, art was an expression of God. Beauty was an expression of God. Everything that God has placed within the uh, Creator's hand, meaning us, is an expression of His kingdom. And when we exercise all of that, there's, there's room for everybody in the assignment when we realize how broad the assignment is. But if we think the assignment is just preaching and teaching, then the rest all just feel like all they are is audience. And God says, no, it's all my work. It's all my kingdom. Look at how I've, I've created so many varieties of people and so many expressions of my love. Let's go out and let's show the world what the kingdom of God's all about. Teaching, preaching, yes, that's one thing. But what about, uh, what about art and business and, uh, and, 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 and all of the other ways of caring for, for people and all the rest that exist in our culture today? Every one of them is an opportunity to advance his kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying today? And so that's why next week I'm going to talk about dreaming with God. I want to talk about the dream that God has empowered you to be able to dream and that you bring and put at his feet and how God wants that dream to come to pass and how God's empowered you to make that dream come to pass and how we as a Christian and as a church can have a dream for our community and for uh, the people that are around us and see that dream come to pass. And the kingdom of God advance. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together this morning.
1: I really felt that um, in the house, there's, there's uh, some of you that have been kind of stuck in the place of uh, remorse and regret on the one point that he talked about. And you feel like you missed God because you didn't go into a specific area. And I, Kevin and I got engaged. I was really excited the first time I saw my grandma Rooney and I could hardly wait to tell my grandma. It's a funny story, so I feel kind of silly that I'm getting choked up about it, but um, I could hardly wait to tell my grandma that we were engaged. And so I told her, you know, grandma, I just got engaged. And uh, she looked at me and she said, you got the Lord, what in the world would you want a man for? I'm not kidding. That's exactly what she said. And without even... she'd
0: never even met me at this point. I mean, like...
1: (laughs) She had. Uh, She knew we were both in Bible school. But I... Without even a second thought, I looked at her and I said, well, I kind of thought I could have both. Amen. And I went home and I was so bewildered by that. I thought, like, it just didn't line up. Like, this is my grandma who loves the Lord, was passionate about the Lord, gave birth to 11 children, nine of them survived, and all nine of her kids served the Lord. So I'm thinking, like, where, does, where is this coming from? And so as I talked to my parents, what I found out was my mama, grandma as a young woman felt that she was called into ministry and to be an evangelist. And she felt by getting married that she had totally missed out on God. She totally missed out on the fact that she raised nine kids that were passionate about God. And and I can't speak to whether or not God, you know, what God spoke to her in those younger years. But it was like for her, the moment she missed that assignment, everything else was really flat and it had no substance to it, and she didn't get the excellence and the excitement and all that she had in her life. Like, I'm not kidding you when I say nine kids all loved and served the Lord passionately.
0: And how many grandkids ended did. up in the ministry?
1: Oh, grandkids <laughs> that ended up in the ministry. Grandkids who didn't even... who like, her kids who weren't in the ministry but were in the ministry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They didn't hold a position that called them pastor yep. or evangelist, but they were in the ministry every day of their life, like the lives of my father impacted and all of the other kids impacted. I mean, my cousin Connie is here. I mean, in the church alone here, the impact that we have in our communities. Exactly right. And so... So I just really believe that you need to say no and put a stop and put aside and put behind today the I missed God. How can you miss a God who's everywhere, who knows everything? It's just not possible. It's just not logical. Think about it. Amen. You, didn't, you didn't miss God. He can reassign you. He just. He wants your heart. And you've exactly. got assignments on a daily basis.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: on a daily basis.
0: Amen. Amen. Exactly. Amen. I hope you're getting it, folks, because I think if we can get it, we can change the world. Literally. You know, the early disciples got it, and they went out, and Christianity spread like a wildfire. And only... You know, a handful of guys got it, and then they went out and they changed the world. You know, we have way more than the original 12 disciples here today. We get it. We can change the world. It becomes a part of our life where we walk around every day freed of all that condemnation, just realizing that today I have an opportunity to receive from the Lord His grace to be able to share His kingdom with people around me everywhere I go and then let the assignments come let the work come because it comes to me as a son or a daughter it comes to me as a family member and from there look what i have i can do all things through christ who gives me strength amen so father we just thank you that there the bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus father we will receive that Revelation today, and we recognize that God, you have called and you have placed your hand upon every one of us. But Lord, it, it, the call is to the family. The call is to sit around the, the coffee table or the kitchen table and to talk and to dream about kingdom. The call is not that, oh, you got to do this particular sign or that particular assignment, and if you fail, then you're out for the rest of your life. That's not it at all. And Father, that you have placed your hand upon us, and that, Lord, That call, that's why the Scripture says the calling of God is without repentance because you never change your mind about whether we're part of the family or not. (laughs) You never change your mind about putting your affections upon me. You've never changed your mind about me at all. You love me with an unquenchable fire and and an unending love. And that will never, ever cease to be. And from that place of love, Lord, of divine passion for our lives... Lord, we realize that we can do anything, anything that Lord opens up to us. Lord, we realize we can do it. We can do it. That, God, you can show us how, you can show us where, you can show us when. And, Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.